three, two, one, go. Excellent. Nice. Now we're going to record. Did you hear the woman say that just now? I, I did. That was uh, okay. shocking. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> fucking hate That's, her. Yeah, she's fucking stupid. Okay, here we go. Welcome to my favorite podcast with Noah Marger. to flat above a shop cut your hair and get a job smoke some cigs and play some pool pretend you never went to school but still you'll never get it right because when you're lying in bed at night watching roaches climb the wall if you called your daddy could stop it all yeah you'll never live like common people you'll never do whatever common people do you'll never fail like common people You'll never watch your life slide out of you and dance and drink and screw because there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. He got freaky as fuck with it this week. Got a little mad. Got a little angry. Um, that is Common People as sung by William Shatner featuring Joe Jackson. If you have not heard that song, if you have not heard that version of that song, because it originally is by the British band Pulp <clears throat> from the 90s, but if you have not heard the William Shatner version of Common People featuring Joe Jackson, get off this show <laughs> right now. Go listen to that song. Come back, and you will be a changed. Uh, you'll be changed. Your diaper. You'll be changed your diaper. <laughs> Your diaper will be <laughs> diaper will be clean. You'll have a new diaper on. It's a great song. Been listening to it all week. And the whole album's good. If I may say so myself, the whole album is good. Some of the songs are a little corny, but they're all produced by Ben Folds. Great album. Probably going to talk about it on it's on the list here within the next couple weeks is my guess. But you don't care. <laughs> you, you don't give a fuck. You're here for my favorite podcast podcast about people's favorite things i am of course the host of the show whether you like it or not noah marger probably not you probably hate this show <laughs> that's why you're listening to it right now because you hate it you hate listen to this piece of shit show well don't hate listen to it this week because we got a great guest and he's in the big apple he, he flew in all the way from the big apple to be here tonight so pay him the respect that he deserves okay you can go back to hating the show every other week, but this week you have to like it. You have to love it this week. Okay? So I'm going to introduce him. My guest today is a writer and director based out of Brooklyn, New York, whose work includes the dark comedy, the bastard side, and the award-winning thriller Living in Anger. Not only is he an award-winning filmmaker, but he also holds a master's degree in film studies from Cambridge University in jolly old England. We have a master in our midst today, folks. <laughs> I know he likes that. I know he loves me saying shit like that. Uh, please welcome 
making his podcast debut, I believe. Right, guest? Yes, indeed. Yes, yes, indeed. I don't know what to do. Should I, do I have to sing too? No, you. I, I promise you, you will never have to sing on this okay, show. That's good. the one thing that I can promise you. Okay, good. Please welcome, all the way from the Big Apple, Keshev Srinivasan. What's up, brother? Yeah, what's up, man? How you doing? Doing okay. I'm going to pretend like we didn't talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> this right, is like we're right on my podcast for some. I don't know. Like, as far as they know, we just started talking, right? <laughs> as far as they know, we just met. We that was All that shit was like fed to me by like a research intern. Yeah, well, by, your, by your producer, right? Yeah. Yeah, by my piece of shit producer who happens to look and sound and act exactly like me. Um, but you are new to the, you're new to the Big Apple. I am. To say. Yeah, yeah. I moved here uh, in August. Yeah, so I've been here not that long, over a month. Were you? And you so that means you were there for the flooding and all that shit, right? Yeah, but you know it's funny because like um, me and my roommate didn't know that the flooding was happening until it finished happening because we just didn't take transit that day, and so we're like, oh, yeah. wow. it's like, oh wow, it's raining a lot. And it's, it's kind of all we experienced of it. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, that's. I mean, that's the best possible way for that situation to go right. down. Right. Uh. Was it actually on the street or was it like strictly underground? Like, were you like, look like, or were you just completely unaffected by just the shit? I personally was completely unaffected, but, uh, from other people I talked to, it was like the street, it was flooding into the subway. Like it was bad. Like somebody told me that they were in an Uber and the water was like a foot high, like something crazy like that. Oh Jesus. Yeah. That's fucked up. No, it's, (laughs) it's wild. And that's and it's not only is it fucked up, but it's fucked up that that's the that's the best it's gonna be for the rest of you and I's lives, probably. Oh, dude, I, I thought this was supposed to be like a happy podcast or something about like your favorite things. <laughs> Does, do is. those favorite things include like the imminent doom of climate change or? Well, that's I, I wouldn't put that on my list. But if you want to put that on your list, hell, go for it, my man. You know, different strokes for different folks. We get all we get all sorts of folks from different walks of life on the show people who like music people who like you know different places throughout the world people who love the slow heat death of the universe i don't know different strokes for different folks uh you seen any new york celebs um no i really wish i had a good answer man i really wish i was like yeah man i bump into like spike lee every day but no i don't i haven't seen anyone Damn, dude. You yeah. got to fucking, you got to f- hunt down Marty and De Niro while you still can while you're there. I think they're in Oklahoma. One chance. They're in Oklahoma right now making their new movie. Uh, is that the Brendan Fraser one? Yeah, that's the Brendan Fraser movie. <laughs> <laughs> they're making the Brendan Fraser, the big Brendan Fraser Scorsese clap. I will say, though, awesome that he's like back at it. Oh, doing I'm so things. hyped, dude. I'm so hyped. Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a good person genuinely like yeah a good person and that is not something you can say about a lot of people in entertainment i think maybe i think it's a fair assessment yeah (laughs) yeah just like a genuinely nice guy from all Mm -hmm. the stuff that i've read and like Mm -hmm. seen and you know maybe he's got it maybe he's got a dark side to him but you know at least from what i can tell seems like to be a nice guy but you gotta fly to oklahoma then (laughs) you're really trying to hunt those guys down i i mean do i have to fly to oklahoma or only if you want to hunt him down. Oh, okay. It's up to you. I don't give a, I don't give a fuck, to be honest okay. with you. You're mine for the next 90-ish minutes, brother. So you're in the cage, and I'm just poking you with the red-hot brander right now, trying to get the ta- trying to get the sign of my favorite podcast branded onto you. So you're a walking piece of advertisement. Oh, good. Um, what's been the biggest 
difference or change? Because you were not in L.A. prior to this. You were came straight from England, right, to New York? Yeah, yeah, when I was getting my, my master's degree. Um, you know, it's actually interesting because, like, I would say, like, because I lived in L.A. and then I lived in England, in Cambridge, and then I moved to New York. <clears throat> I would say New York and Cambridge have way more in common than New York and L.A., weirdly enough. Weird. Okay. What's uh, up with that? Mainly because it's, like, I feel like New York and, like, Cambridge at least are, like, super walkable, which is, like, makes such a huge difference. Like, sure. you know, like, you can walk to anywhere that's somewhat convenient in my area in New York and in Cambridge. It can't say the same thing about L.A. And it actually kind of, like, makes, like, it sounds like a small thing, but it kind of makes, like, all the difference, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. You just, I don't know. It just feels way more interconnected. Well, that's because that's because it straight up is you know, like at the end of the day, like, you know, I mean, if you're taking Metro or you're taking public transit of any kind mm-hmm. in L.A., you're 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 a dead man, like straight up. No, it's Obviously, cool. And it's like, you know, my my whole area, like, I mean, not a single, for instance, Starbucks anywhere for blocks. Hell yeah. It's all like it's like a lot of just like independently owned stuff. So, like, if you want to get like a sandwich or something, you just go to the deli guy and you like have a conversation with him which is really nice i didn't realize like how much that's like a good thing you know how much that adds sure. to your like life experience but it's nice yeah who is your local bodega guy should we shout him out uh yeah well he's uh he's right in the corner uh right, literally right next to uh my apartment and um yeah he sells good sandwiches man okay Shout out. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to help this guy out right now. Does he have a name? Does he have a, actually, I mean, I'm not trying to bot, I'm not trying to dox you or anything. No, but no, does no. Does he have a name? Uh, uh, I actually don't know his name, but. Okay. It's, it's, it's called, Bodega it's, guy. It's called Brooklyn Deli. It's Check it out. It's solid sandwiches. Really good people who work there. That's my advertisement for Brooklyn Deli. Thanks for doing that, man. No worries. You're, you're a saint for that one. <laughs> well, Keshev, enough about New York. We're not here to talk about New York today. Well, we could. We could talk about that shit all day if you ask me. If you're asking me, could I do whole 90 minutes on that? You're goddamn right I could. Uh, but can I ask you Noe's question instead? Do it. Okay. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, it's Noe's question. Do you know who that? You know whose voice that is? No, I was not prepared for that at all. That's uh, Alexander Barrett's voice. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so shout That's out Alexander to Barrett. Yeah, some may say. Some may say shout out to him. I wouldn't. Uh, he's my mortal. He's my mortal nemesis, uh, which is fine. Which is fine. It's fine that we're mortal nemeses. It's fine. We're still cool. <laughs> we're still fine. Uh, we're talking about folk music today. We're talking about protest music. We're talking about the 60s. If you could go back to the 60s folk scene, San Francisco, New York, wherever, what would your Lewin Davis persona look like? Who would you Who would you want to be in the bad, bad, big bad world of '60s folk music? Dude, honestly, like I love the idea of like being like, you know, a really sing songy like Pete Seeger type who like sang about communism and like unions. Um, oh yeah. But also like internally being like a really depressed Lewin Davis type. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's a little, kinda... a, a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a the Robin Williams <laughs> of, of the '60s folk scene, <laughs> making everybody else happy and laugh on the outside, while inside you're like, I'm fucking done for, baby. <laughs> I'm fucking done for. Um, <laughs> would you be in New York? Would you be in SF? Oh, or New would York you be... all the way, man. Okay. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. 
Where would be your haunts? Where are you? Where are you hanging out? Ooh, what do we want haunts? Well, you know, um, apparently a big uh, bar where a lot of people got their start, like Deline and Hendrix and stuff, is called Cafe Wa. I think it's like in Lower East Side or something, Manhattan. Um, okay. Then that, I mean, that sounds like a pretty good haunt. That does sound like a pretty good haunt. Hell. It's the big apple. You can't get can't, can't can't you can't get a bad haunt in this place. There are no me. bad haunts in the big apple. Yeah, dude, that's what I'm saying. There's no bad part of any city anywhere. <laughs> Every city is perfect. It's perfect. There's nothing yeah. bad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh well thank you for sharing your Lewin Davis persona. Would you go by Keshev Shrinivasam or would you have a stage name? do, do you care? I mean, it's just, it feels weird to have, like, a stage name if you're a folk singer, you know? Like, I don't know. It feels, it, I mean, I know Bob Dylan's a stage I name. I was just about to say, Bob Dylan's a stage know, name. Like, but like, the most famous well, folk singer ever. I know, but it might as well not be, you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, it is his name for all intents and purposes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I were to have, like, an, I'd probably just go by my first name. Um, just, would you be a mononym like Rembrandt? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think I would just be Keisha, because, like, Keisha Srinivasan, like, my last name's too long. Sure. Like, there's a reason why he's not Bob Zimmerman, right? You know, it's Bob Dylan. Uh, well, I like, maybe, think maybe at the time period there was... There was uh, a, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, there was other, <laughs> other reasons. <laughs> other reasons maybe that Zimmerman wasn't so cool uh, in the South or maybe anywhere else. So very swag of him to maybe go with something extremely safe and we'll let him play music anywhere. Um, all right, well, you're the mononym of Keshev yes. in the 60s. You're hanging out at, was it Cafe Wa? Cafe that Wa, said? that's the place. In the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Are your songs, your songs are what we say, you think you're probably like unions, protests, protests that kind of stuff? you know, socialism, um, fighting, fighting the power, and uh, the all-pervading, you know, nihilism that capitalism brings upon us. Hell yeah. I first, <laughs> for a split second... I thought you said the all-prevailing 9/11 that's <laughs> happening around us, and I was like, "We're in a you're constant 40 years state of 9/11." Yeah, <laughs> just towers being knocked down every single fucking day. So insane. Recording this two days before the 20th anniversary of 9/11. Yeah, good timing. Yeah, <laughs> very good timing. Uh, normally, I answer the Noe's question as well, give my own <laughs> spin mm. uh, on things. I don't really have like a set answer because like. I just truly don't know if I could even see myself in this scene. Yeah. To be totally honest with you. Like, I may have been one of the guys, truthfully, who was like, this thing fucking sucks like, at the time. <laughs> like, truthfully. I don't feel that way, like, now mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, I don't, I, I don't like, truly feel that way. But I could see myself yeah. at the time being like, give me some fucking Elvis. What the fuck is Wait, this bullshit? So what you know? you're saying is that, like, if you were – the same age that you are, but like 50 years in the past. Yeah. Imagining who you would be 50 years in the past at the age you are now. That's what you're saying. I'm saying that is a pot. That's a strong possibility. I think. <laughs> okay. That's a very like abstract thinking. I'm impressed. <laughs> Thanks. I just let, and I don't know. Cause like growing up, like if I tried to play like this kind of music, mm-hmm. like in the car, mm-hmm. My dad is just like, we're turning the shit off like right now. So I don't know if that maybe my rebellion is like, yeah, Joan Baez, yeah, Joni Mitchell, yeah, like, you know, Pete Seeger, whatever. Or maybe I'm stuck in my way of just like, give me a little blue suede shoes, give me some of that, you know, you know what? Blue suede shoes, man. Blue suede shoes, great song. It's a great song. Yeah. I went to uh I went to Graceland actually this summer. 
um, when I was on my big old trip. Oh, I was yeah, in yeah. Memphis. Uh, and I don't know if I've said this on my on this show or if on it's on the list, but there was the they give you like an iPad audio tour, mm-hmm. uh, which is read by John Stamos of all people, believe it or not. Why John Stamos? Um, I think it's because in Full House, his like character was like very much liked the liked Elvis. I guess like that's like that's such a weird choice. Yeah, it's stupid as fuck. But <laughs> but. Uh, the tour is really cool. The tour of Graceland is like amazing. Like yeah. the house is like not like by today's standards, like sick as hell, but like it's just very well preserved and like everything. But what really got me on the tour is you're walking through the entire house, mm-hmm. and at the very end, you end up in what they what Elvis called the meditation garden, which was just this fountain that had like some flowers around it. And by the time that he had passed away, he was laid to rest there alongside his mother and his father. So his mother's on one side of him. He's in the middle and his father's on the other side of him. And he had a uh, stillborn twin who isn't uh, buried at the grace, the Graceland site, but there's a little plaque commemorating Mm -hmm. his, his brother who didn't ultimately end up making it out of childbirth. Right. And there, you've just gone through the entire tour. You've seen how much Elvis is like meant to people and like how much of a symbol he was. It's like hard to reconcile that. I think like, if you weren't around for it, but like Mm -hmm. they do like a pretty good job of showing you. And I just, they were playing if I can dream like on the audio tour and like I'm in the meditation garden of Graceland and I'm like, just started fucking crying (laughs) just like so hard. I would do that too. It was beautiful. I was so moved by it. And I don't even like Elvis that much, (laughs) but maybe if 60s was going to see (laughs) 20 year old version or 24 year old version of 60s. Noah, yeah, exactly. Was still 24. And I was going to see you at Cafe Wall in the Lower East Side. I'd be like, shut the fuck up. Play Hound Dog, you motherfucker. Play, play Blue Hawaii, you fucking asshole. be kind of cool. That'd be cool. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> we, should, we should do that. Uh, let's, get into, let's get into this shit, dude. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I asked you to come on the show. I said you could pick pretty much anything you want. And you actually told me what you wanted to pick or what you wanted to do, like, super quick. Some people <laughs> think about it for, like, weeks, you know. Or oh, like, really? You know, like, as long as, as, long as they're able to, which is usually about – weeks is a little bit of exaggeration. Mm-hmm. But, like, they could take up to, like, five to six days usually because mm-hmm. I try to book everything at least a week in advance. Uh, and they'll take the whole time. With you, it was like within 20 minutes. Yeah. We knew what we were talking about. <laughs> uh, and we're talking about the folk singer from the 60s and 70s, Phil Oaks, today. Indeed. How did you land on Phil Oaks, and why'd you pick him? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I actually started getting to Phil Oaks, I think, like, relatively recently. Probably, like, if I'm going to be honest, probably 2020, like, early 2020-ish. Okay. Um, I was a big fan of, like, old folk music before then and i was really into like dylan and i was also into like letter cohen like woody guthrie pete seeger all those guys and um i i don't know like really enough i was drawn to like the political element of folk music um more so than like the poetic stuff um and so i was like looking uh through spotify for like any other like politically driven folk music and someone made a playlist called leftist folk and uh, there were a couple of Phil Oaks songs there, and I listened to the song called Love Me, I'm a Liberal, and I thought it was, like, yeah. the funniest fucking thing on the planet, and I was like, who is this guy? 
And so after that, I just started doing like a deep dive into like a lot of his stuff and just listening to his stuff and repeat. Yeah. Hell yeah. So this is, this is a relatively recent discovery then. Mm-hmm. This is like with, within the last year, more or less. Yeah. What, like near like early 2020, probably during the pandemic, honestly. Okay. So last year, year and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had actually never even heard of this guy. To be yeah, honest, a lot with of you. people haven't. Yeah, when you when you told me I want to talk about him, you were like, "Because spoiler alert, maybe you'll maybe you'll come back on the show and talk about this guy one day." Ha ha. Uh, you just like I might want to do James Gray, the filmmaker, and I was like, "That is very Keshev to pick James <laughs> Gray." Uh, and he's like, "Or I can talk about Phil Oaks," and I said, "You can do whatever you want." I've never even heard of Phil Oaks. I don't even know who that is. And you were like, "Oh well, we got to do that then." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, okay, great, let's do it." Uh, and so. This was a brand new guy to mm-hmm. me. New type of guy just dropped. Phil Oaks. <laughs> new He's man has dropped. <laughs> <laughs> new man has just dropped, baby, and it's Phil Oaks, the guy who the guy who did music in the '60s and then uh, killed himself in the '70s. Yeah. So it hasn't been around yeah. for you know the, the last fifty-ish years. Yeah. Um. What is it about the Phil Oaks sound or his music or? his whole thing that really clicks with you, what makes him, no pun intended, what makes him sing to you? You know, honestly, like, I just love how, like, little of a fuck he seems to give. Like, sure. I mean, the whole concept of, like, for instance, like, loving him a liberal, it's, like, it's not taking down conservatives per se, because that's kind of an easy target, you know? It's sure. taking down, you know, liberals who are progressive only to the point where it doesn't personally inconvenience them. Sure. Which is a lot of people. So he's like, you know, he is very much being like an underdog. I don't know if underdog is the right word, but like he is fighting like a big crowd here, you know? Absolutely. And I just love that he just like goes for it. And he's just unapologetically, you know, sticks to his own politics. Um, he fully embraces his politics. And he does it with like a really good sense of humor, too. Like, I think he's legitimately a really funny songwriter. Um, Absolutely. And I don't know. I also like his voice. Like, it's not super fancy it's not like super like he doesn't hit like freddie mercury notes or anything but there's kind of like a i don't know it's almost like he's like talking to you like in a conversation if that makes sense no 100 percent. there is a very conversational aspect to it especially if you are sort of able to like mentally put yourself back mm-hmm. in the time period mm-hmm. of which he is really singing about because it would be sort of like catching up with a friend and there you guys are talking about Vietnam or right. you guys are talking about the assassination of Martin Luther King or mm-hmm. something like that whatever that current event is mm-hmm. in the moment or whatever that political thing that's going on in your current sphere it's like talking to like your smartest most with it friend right. about that shit you know um, and I feel like to get specifically with love me I'm a liberal and you'd have to tell me if you agree disagree somewhere maybe in between it is almost more relevant today than it is maybe when he did it because you see so many well-meaning people Mm -hmm. who think or like to say that they're progressive for the optics right but then maybe are not that much different from maybe a moderate conservative i mean he the guy was basically making a song about like twitter clout change just before twitter was a thing right absolutely yeah yes 100 percent. it would be like Like if like like if like if some anime <laughs> Alright, I'm, I'm gonna stick with you on this, alright. 
some anime avatar guy heard Phil Oaks, they'd be like, um, can we talk about Phil Oaks real quick? You know, online, trying to maybe cancel him retroactively for being, like, too harsh of a critique or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he is, like, violently political almost yeah. Yeah. in his in his messaging. Is that is that really the main... It feels like maybe that's the main draw for you, specifically with him. For sure. I mean, like, the thing is that, like, you know... I'm a big hip hop fan. Like I grew up with hip hop um, ever since I was a little kid, like probably like eight, seven, eight, some of that. Sure. And I mean, you know, initially I was drawn to uh, hip hop because, um, you know, I like the lyrics and the beats and I love the talent of it. But I think the thing that made me stick with it was just like how unabashedly political they are. Oh yeah. Like, you know, like I, I think Kirk Cobain was like, he was like, um, like hip hop is probably like the most, he says something like it's the most like vital genre of music out there. And oh, I've never heard that. That's interesting. Yeah, no, he, he was a big hip hop fan. And I just love how they just don't like put any veil over their politics at all. You know, and it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's like the uncensored aspect of it that I really liked. And to hear that sure. kind of unvarnished fury translated into cheerful sounding folk music, I thought was so interesting. Um, that is interesting. Yeah, something you don't. Yeah, that's a. It's like it's almost. Yeah, he was the the ori- the the original gangster in some ways. <laughs> Phil Oaks. Um, who are who are your hip hop guys? Who are who are, who are you? Who are your Mount Rushmore of hip hop guys? Oh gosh, this is so hard. Um, Nas. Let's go, baby. Most deaf. Most definitely. <laughs> nice. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm fucking sorry here. I'm walking here. Um... <laughs> Uh, Faramanch. Who? Faramanch. I'm not familiar with oh, that dude, person. Who is that? One of the greatest rappers of all time. If you want to know where, like, Eminem gets his, like, influence when in regards to, like, flow and, like, multisyllabic rhymes, Faramanch. Okay. Damn. That's that's a little homework for me outside of the pod. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Uh, who else we got up there? It doesn't have to be one more person, but who else are you, are you rocking with, like... I don't know. Is gonna, Kanye in there at all, or are you anti-Kanye? I, no, I, I love Kanye. This is a pro-Kanye household, but if I had to have one more rapper up there, I would say Black Thought from The Roots. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Hell yeah. Uh, what is it? Have you listened to Illadelph? Uh Fuck. What is the name of that album? There's this great Roots album, and it's not like things fall apart. It's called like Illadelph. I'm looking it up right now. Illadelph Half-Life. I have you listened to Illadelph Half-Life no, by The Roots? No. Came out in 96. It's an hour and 18 minutes. Really, really good stuff. D'Angelo's on there. Oh, Q-Tip's shit. on there. Okay. Common's on there. Mm-hmm. They got some great, great tracks on there. It yeah. just don't stop. Yeah. That's a great... If you like if you like that kind of shit, Illadelph uh, Half-Life is a great album. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, Game Theory's great, too. I'm a big uh, fan of Game Theory. We love it. Love it. We love it. Uh, that's crazy. I didn't actually know that you were that much of a hip hop guy. I mean, that's you learn something new about your friends. <laughs> um, why do you think Oaks is a little bit more forgotten in the '60s folk scene sort of compendium? I mean, most people know Bob Dylan, right. Joan Baez, Peter Paul and Mary. Mm-hmm. You know that sort of movement of people. Why do you think Phil Oaks sort of fell by the wayside in the history of things? I think it might be a couple of things. I mean, one, you know, because he killed himself at such a young age, comparatively, he didn't make as many albums. And sure. so I think that might have something to do with it. 
he's not as much music as you know Baez or Dylan or Mitchell or whoever but I also think like I don't know maybe it's me sounding cynical but I think that one of the things that makes Phil Oaks so special is one of the things that made people not want to listen to him or accept as much which is his politics you know sure yeah, I mean absolutely. even with like you know Dylan or Baez like yeah they're they were progressive and they were political uh, sometimes but it was a bit of a easier pill to swallow when they sang about it the way they presented their lyrics right absolutely uh phil oaks like he does not make easy pills to swallow to continue the metaphor he like he makes like a strong statement and that might have put off some people in the 60s yeah i think that you know even i think it'd be i think it'd be like it would go down easier maybe Mm -hmm. today just because of how inundated we are with news and takes Mm -hmm. you know just like from every fucking angle and everything right but like listening to the music it's like you don't have any questions Mm -hmm. about where this guy stands Mm -hmm. on anything yeah you understand his entire political thing right off the bat Mm -hmm. um but i do think the abrasiveness is something like a very strange uh comparison but one that i think is warranted is Death Grips. I think oh, that, wow. Okay. <laughs> I think that Death Grips, when they first came out in, like, the early 2010s, mm-hmm. very off-putting mm-hmm. to people. Very, like, to the majority of people. Right. Very off-putting. Sure. Very, like, I don't want to fuck with this. Like, this is, like, not... This sounds bad to mm-hmm. me. And that's much more on a musical level than a content level. Mm-hmm. But 10 years later... Right. They're, like, one of the most influential modern music acts ever. Like, every SoundCloud rapper wants to sound... Like Death Grips, every, you know, every electronic artist, electronic mm-hmm. as, you know, umbrella term, wants to sound like that gritty and that like dirty, a lot of them do. And that comes from Death Grips, I think, ultimately. Yeah. So maybe they were a little, ahead, you know, a little ahead of their time, but ultimately, you know, 10 years later, it's like, yeah, their influence is everywhere. Maybe Oaks's influence isn't as prevalent because Dylan is A, still alive and right. B, so revered. And I know that they were like, almost like pitted against each other there was like, definitely the like day. a rivalry or something but there's there's definitely beef between the two for sure yeah and it's like it's almost silly at a certain point because it's like you're getting such different shit from both of them sure. you know what i mean yeah, yeah. It's silly <laughs> i think it's silly um do you think folk as a genre is a remnant of a time gone by do you think it's evolved into something else what's your feeling on folk in the current day atmosphere um, you know, it's interesting because, like, with folk music, I always feel like folk music is something that kind of comes and goes in waves. So, like, you know, obviously, like, f- folk music is probably, like, one of the oldest genres of music ever, right? I mean, sure. just by its conception, it's literally just people singing with what they got, right? Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, there it has been folk music in England during the 19th century. There also has been folk music during the Decibel era of the 30s. And then there's been a revival of folk music in the 60s. And so you can see, like, long gaps of time where folk music just wasn't as much totally. of a thing. And it suddenly explodes. And then another long gap of time where it wasn't really a thing. And I don't know. I think that when it comes to that specific kind of folk music that I'm talking about, it's very socially conscious and socially aware. Um, yeah. Like the stuff that Woody Guthrie did in the 30s or Dylan in the 60s. Uh, we're not in another one of those by any means. I mean, the modern day folk music is about as unoffensive as it gets. I mean, 
And I think, sure. I mean, uh, to be honest, like, I, I think it kind of sucks. <laughs> when, or when we say modern day folk, are we talking about like Mumford and Sons? Like, like Mumford is that and what we Sons, think of? Monsters and Men, stuff like that. Yeah, boom clap music <laughs> boom is what it's like turned into. It's like, I'm in love with you. You're in love with me. And I like, and I like that song, to be honest with you. Like, I don't dislike that song. No hate, but it's like, it's not the same as Phil Oaks or no. Bob Dylan or Joan Baez. No, 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 uh, no. By any stretch. No, I mean, to me, it's basically just like pop music with less instruments. That's kind of how I yeah. feel like it is. Which, you know, nothing wrong with pop music at all. I mean, I like some pop music a lot, but it's definitely not the same kind of music as it was, you know, in the 60s or in the 30s, which means that I think we're due for another wave, maybe. Maybe, but if we're not due for another wave, or if maybe if we are due for another wave and it's not happening yet, what do you think occupies that same space music-wise? Hip-hop. Hip-hop? Hands yeah. down, hip-hop, yeah. I mean, like, as far as politically relevant music genres go, hip-hop's still the number one, I think. I mean, the existence of Kendrick basically makes yeah. it, like, hip-hop the genre, for sure. Yeah, he is, uh... It's, like, hard to talk about him, to be honest with you. He's, like, a fucking... It's, like, it's like just watching him... Like, even... Oh, what, was, what was that song that he was just on? Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, is it the one with Baby Keem? It is the one with Baby Keem. I forget the name so, of it. I listened to it, but I forget the name of it. What I gotta? I, okay, so we're going to Baby Keem Spotify real quick. Family Ties. Oh yeah, yeah. I listen to that. Just give me the Kendrick verse. That's all, <laughs> gonna, that's, that's all I'm gonna say. And it's like more than halfway through that song, and For that sure. song's like four and a half minutes long. For sure. Just give me the Kendrick verse. <laughs> and supposedly we're getting a new Kendrick soon. I'm so hyped, man! I can't wait. What was, what is your favorite Kendrick album? I'm gonna be cliche to Peppa Butterfly. Oh, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's a ma- I mean, masterpiece. Yeah, it's it's like staggering. Yeah. Um, you know, I wrote it for my. Have dis- you ever? I wrote about it for my dissertation. In what context? Uh, I was relating the visual techniques of the music video for All Right to the visual. Oh yeah, you were saying this in, to um, me. Yes. Sergei Eisenstein's movies. Yeah, that's crazy. You're you're you went galaxy right on that one big time. That was fucking fucking baller ass move on your end. Um, have you listened to Section Eighty or given that one any any spins? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, I, th- I would say like one of my favorite Kendrick songs is on that, which is um, Rigor Mortis. Oh yeah, that's one of his best it's, songs. It's I I think that is his most overlooked album personally. Okay, yeah. Section Eighty, mm-hmm. at least today. I mean, maybe like when Good Kid Mad City came out. Maybe mm-hmm. that wasn't the case, but now that we have Good Kid Mad City to Pimp a Butterfly and Damn and Untitled Unmastered, right. you know, basically all coming out. I don't, and this is just my opinion, I'm not like sitting there melon Fantano head, you know, <laughs> going like, what are people really talking about? But just from where am I, where, from where I sit, mm-hmm. I don't see that album getting talked about as much in like his pantheon sure. of great albums. And I think it's- For sure. Outside of To Pimp a Butterfly, it is probably my favorite album of his. Okay. Because musically, okay. it just goes off. It goes yeah, yeah. so hard, and it tells, you know, inner city stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, from South Central. So you've got the political meeting the personal. And I just think it's so good. Mm-hmm. I just think it's underrated. I think it's overlooked. That's my own personal opinion. Don't crucify me online, please, God. <laughs> just let me do my shit. God damn it. Fuck. If you're going to get crucified for anything, it's going to be for liking Section 80, I guess. Yeah, fuck, man, I guess. This world this world is... This, this world's, world's fucked. <laughs> this world's this fucked, world's dude. So That's fucked. what I'm saying. This world's fucked as fuck. Um, how has Oaks impacted your life or influenced you either personally, artistically, 
socially, I mean, maybe that one's pretty damn obvious, but how how has he impacted you, whether it be in any facet? Um, you know, weirdly enough, he was the musician who inspired me to start teaching myself guitar. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, so yeah. I've been playing now for since November of last year, and I'm okay at it. I, I, I've, written, I've written a couple of songs, um, and they were kind of like Phil Oaks inspired in a way. Um, Hell yeah, dude. I I actually performed one of my songs uh, at the Cambridge Open Mic. Um, Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, no, thanks. Uh, it was, um, it, well, there's a bit of a story leading up to it, but, like, it's basically, yeah. there was a guy in Cambridge uh, who dropped the N-word multiple times, and I got Great. really pissed off about it, uh, and I reported him, and nothing was done about it. And so, because I was really mad about it, I made a song about it called me and my racist friend and i performed at the open mic (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome i didn't know that that's fucking sick that's awesome what was the reception like people were laughing they thought it was funny that's awesome hell yeah did that song inspire any sort of like bureaucratic change about looking into more of the offense okay i'm just curious because it could have it obviously that easily could have i think you know just like Tom Lair, you know, showed people are more willing to learn about the periodic table of elements if you put it in a song than Mr. Hammond in eighth grade science teaching it to you and sure. being bored out of your skull. So sure. it's like, you know, you can change things through sure. music. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm fucking saying. That's amazing that he inspired you to do guitar and start learning guitar. So that's we're coming up on almost a year of you. Yeah. Yeah. Learning how to play. Mm-hmm. Um you have any plans for any shows anytime soon? Any Keshev shows? Oh, I'm not nearly good enough to do that, but maybe once I get better, honestly, like if I have like the balls to do it and I feel confident enough to do it, I actually might very much consider doing so. Well, when you do, let me know. We'll plug your dates on this show. <laughs> Sick. Hell yeah. Uh, can I drop some knowledge on you and the listeners about Phil Oaks real quick? Oh, before hell yeah. we get into the facts the, uh... section. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's do the facts. <laughs> Philip David Oakes was an American protest, or as he preferred, topical singer and songwriter who was known for his sharp wit, sardonic humor, political activism, often alliterative lyrics, and his distinct voice. He wrote hundreds of songs in the 60s and 70s and released eight albums. Oakes performed at many political events during the 60s counterculture era, including the anti-Vietnam war, civil rights rallies, student events, organized labor events over the course of his career, in addition to many concert appearances at such venues such as Town Hall and Carnegie Hall in New York City. Politically, Oakes described himself as, quote, a left social democrat, uh, as many people online would say today, a leftist who became an early revolutionary after the protests at the 1968 excuse me, 68 Democratic National Convention in Chicago, led to a police riot which had a profound effect on his state of mind. As a teenager, Oakes' ability to... Oakes was recognized as a talented clarinet player. In an evaluation, one music instructor wrote, quote, you have exceptional musical feeling and the ability to transfer it on your instrument is abundant. His musical skills allowed him to play clarinet with the orchestra at the Capitol University Conservatory of Music in Ohio, where he rose to the status of principal soloist before he was 16 years old. Although Oakes played classical music, he soon became interested in other sounds he heard on the radio, such as Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley. Let's go, Boom. baby. Elvis is back. The king. Elvis has left the building. Elvis has come back into the building and he won't leave. 
Elvis has come back into the building. He won't leave, and he's not putting on his fucking mask, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. And you know that if Elvis was alive today, he would be an anti-masker. Oh, he would be an anti-vaxxer and an anti-masker for sure. Yeah, he was a huge piece of shit, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> loved cops. He was a bootlicker. Um, and country music artists, including Farron Young, Ernest Tubb, Hank Williams Sr., and Johnny Cash. Oaks also spent a lot of time at the movies. Movies. He was a cinephile, bro. He was a cine bro. He was. He probably would love Christopher he Nolan. Loved, he, was he was a today. big Joker fan. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> that is too evil for me to think about. Dude, we're bringing him back Joker. In the theater. We're bringing back Joker, <laughs> man. The Joker references have kind of like died down, and I kind of want to bring him back. Critics everywhere are raving about the year's masterpiece, which is Joker. <laughs> I think because of how fucked 2020, well, 2021 is still fucked in actually a lot of the same ways, but because of how fucked these last 18 months have been, let's just go back to like raving about movies that came out pre-pandemic and maybe joker can be one of those <laughs> uh but he liked john wayne and Audie murphy and he also liked marlon brando and james dean because he liked the rebels as you might be able to glean from 1956 to 58 he was a student at staunton military academy in rural virginia and when he graduated he returned to columbus ohio and enrolled in ohio state university unhappy after his first quarter he took a leave of absence and went to florida while in Miami, the 18-year-old Oaks was jailed for two weeks for sleeping on a park bench, an incident he would later recall as, quote, somewhere during the course of those 15 days, I decided to become a writer. My primary thought was journalism, so in a flash, I'll be a writer and major in journalism. At Ohio State, he met Jim Glover, a fellow student who was a devotee of folk. Glover introduced Oaks to the music of Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, and the Weavers. Glover taught Oaks how to play guitar, and they debated politics. Oaks began writing newspaper articles, often on radical themes. When the student paper refused to publish some of the more radical articles, he started his own underground newspaper called The Word. His two main interests, politics and music, soon merged, and Oaks began writing topical political songs. Oaks and Glover formed a duet called The Singing Socialists, later renamed The Sundowners. That is a great name for a political band. I love that. Uh, but the duo broke up before their first professional performance, and Glover went to New York to become a folk singer. During the early period of his career, Oakes and Bob Dylan had a friendly rivalry. Some may say not so friendly. Uh, Dylan said Oakes. So Dylan said of Oakes, "quote I just can't keep up with Phil, and he just keeps getting better and better and better." On another occasion, when Oakes criticized, "One of us must know sooner or later," Dylan threw him out of his limousine, saying, "You're not a folk singer. You're a journalist." <laughs> What do you think about that quote from Dylan on Phil Oaks? You're not a folk singer. You're a journalist. Dylan's such a fuck. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, he's, you a, seen... he's a brilliant musician, but he's such a fuck, isn't he? Have you seen, is it Don't Look Now? Is that the, his doc? Oh, or Don't Look I haven't seen. No, Don't Look Now is a horror film by Nicholas Rowe. Yeah, that's the Rowe yeah. film. Yes. Uh, Don't Look Back. I've seen bits of it. I have, I, I've seen the, the, the both the Scorsese documentaries on Dylan, though. Which is No Direction Home. No Direction Home and, and Rolling Thunder Review, yeah. Are the, I've not those are both so fucking long I haven't watched either of <laughs> they're them they're good they're the, good I wasn't as big on Don't Look Back just because I feel like at the time it was like revolutionary mm -hmm. that you had so much access right to a guy mm -hmm. but today we have s too much access to everybody true yeah that I was just like okay this feels a little stale to be honest no with it's you. totally fair yeah but I would like to see No Direction Home at least I've heard I've heard Rolling Thunder reviews like pretty good though so I enjoyed it I mean um, I liked how, how I, I don't know. I like how like they just made some stuff up and they're just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You liked how they just lied to everyone. You like that I like fucking it. shit? I like it. 
I think it's okay, cool. cool. I like I like Marty the liar. Yeah, Marty. Oh yeah, Marty's a big fat fucking liar. Yeah, we all know it. Liar. Um, the events of 1968, including the assassination of MLK Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy weeks later, the Chicago police riot, and the election of Richard Milhouse Nixon, left Oakes feeling disillusioned and depressed. The cover of his 1969 album, Rehearsals for Retirement, portrayed a tombstone with the words, Phil Oakes, American, born El Paso, Texas, 1940, died Chicago, Illinois, 1968. At the trial of the Chicago 7 in December of 69, Oakes testified for the defense. His testimony included the initial, uh, included his recitation of the lyrics to his song, I Ain't Marching Anymore, which we'll talk about here in just a sec. On his way out of the courthouse, Oakes sang the song for the press corps to Oakes' amusement. He was broadcast that evening by Walter Cronkite on CBS Evening News. He probably said, that's the way it was, and then <laughs> then ate a snack. <laughs> years. Ate a uh, Twinkie. Ate a big twin Ate a ding dong He said ate, mm, This is good Ate one wheat thin Yeah Yeah he said I'm inventing wheat thins right now <laughs> I'm eating one of them I'm just gonna have one wheat thin uh, After years of pro- prolific writing in the 60s Oakes' mental stability declined in the 70s He eventually succumbed to a number of problems Including bipolar disorder and alcoholism And died by suicide in 1976 Over 45 years after his death Oakes, remain, Oakes songs remain relevant Oaks continues to influence singers and fans worldwide, most of whom never saw him perform live. There are mailing lists and online discussion groups dedicated to Oaks and his music, websites that have music samples, photographs, and other links, and articles and books that continue to be written and published about him. Among Oaks's many admirers were short story writer Brees DJ Pancake, pretty sure that's a pen name, but a great pen name nonetheless, and actor Sean Penn. Megan Lee Oakes, who worked as Sean Penn's personal assistant from 83 to 85, wrote in her foreword to Farewells and Fantasies that she and Penn discussed, quote, over many years, the possibility of making a music, making a movie about her father. The plans had yet not yet come to fruition, although Penn expressed an interest in the project as recently as February of 09. Jim Carroll's autobiography, The Basketball Diaries, was dedicated to the memory of Phil Oakes. On the cover of The Go-Betweens, The Lost Album, Grant McLennan wore a shirt with the words, Get Out of the Car, Oakes, a reference to the limousine incident involving Oakes and Dylan. The 1994 film Spanking the Monkey makes references to Oakes and his suicide. Oakes is mentioned in The Tommyknockers, a Stephen King novel, and The Heart of Atlantis, a Stephen King novel. And in 2019, the novel Revolutionaries by Joshua First, based on the life of Abby Hoffman, Oakes appears as a character under his own name. That's it. Those are the facts. If you hate it, don't talk to me about it. Just ignore it. We're going to talk about the songs now. A lot of now. facts that I didn't know, actually. Dude, I'm glad I was able to drop some knowledge Dude, on you, you on did. that one. Sean Penn's way too old to play Phil Oaks, though. Yeah. Who's, who do you cast as Phil Oaks? Oh, fuck. Um, I got to pull up a photo of this freak real quick. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Hmm. You know what? I'm going to say if he can do an American accent. Killian Murphy. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I was I was gonna say Ben Wishaw, actually. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I just did purely off look. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? Maybe Paul Dano, too. Oh, I can see Paul Dano know. for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's there's a couple options out there. Yeah. Hollywood, your ears are ringing. We're giving you these ideas. <laughs> Let us do this shit. Um <laughs> Well, Keshav, in addition to asking you to pick the topic, when you get comes to music, I always ask you, I always ask the guests to either pick some albums or make a playlist. You chose to make a playlist. Let's talk about that playlist. Cool. We have here three songs off I Ain't Marching Anymore, the album from 1965. 
The first song, I Ain't Marching Anymore. We just talked about it. What's up with this song? Why'd you pick it? What do you like about this one? Um, well, this one, like, you know, it's interesting because it's almost less abrasive than a lot of other Oaks' stuff. Um, That's probably why it was his most popular. That, that very well might be his, his most popular because it's like, it does feel like a lot of anti-war songs. Um, but I still like it. I mean, I, I like the concept of like just taking us through the history of war through the eyes of one person. It kind of reminded me of, uh, do you know Richie Havens? Uh, maybe. Tell me more about Richie. It was that, was that, that was that La Bamba, right? Sorry? Was that La Bamba? The guy? No. <laughs> well, that's Richie, that's Richie Valens. That's Richie Valens. Okay, no. Who's Richie Havens? Richie Havens, uh, he, he was like another folk singer. He played at like Woodstock. Um, but he has a, Classic. he made a song called uh, Handsome Johnny that has like a similar concept to Iron Marching Anymore, where okay. it's about like, you know, this one soldier through like the centuries of different kinds of wars. Um, very cool. And it's, it, it is a bit of like a flowery poetic thing, but I think it kind of works as like a bit of an introductory to Oaks, you know, it kind of helps you yeah. like, ease into his politics a bit more than rather than just like running smack dab into lovely and liberal, you know, totally hundred percent. It's like, you know, like we just said, it's, it's his most popular track. Mm. It's the one that he's probably most remembered for in a main, on a mainstream level, but it is also a little bit more of like, you know, it's it's the water isn't coming out at full speed. The water's right. you know very much just dripping out. It allows you to get a sense of the temperature. Mm-hmm. You know how fast it's coming out. Uh, but it's a good song. Yeah, I like this song. It's it's fun. All of his songs have a great rhythm to them. Sure, yeah. All of his songs have like a great like I don't know message. I guess as silly as that mm-hmm. might sound, like they all just have a great message to them. They're all fun, whether they're like actually about something mm-hmm. like playful or fun usually not but they all have a sense of playfulness to them yeah yeah that like really like enriches every song i don't know do you feel so no, for sure feel different for sure i mean it's interesting because he's able to like ride this line of like taking his subjects really seriously but still having fun with them and like very very few people are able to do that i, I struggle to think of someone who is able to do that today um but he does it really well and like you feel the full impact and you feel that he feels really strongly about these subjects, but he also makes really funny jokes while he does it. It's really tough. 100%. It's really tough. But he adds, like, such a great, like, energy and buoyancy to it, you know? It's, like, it makes it easy listening in some ways, but, like, it still keeps, like, the weight of the message, you know? 100%. And this is, like you said, this is probably the best place to start mm-hmm. if you're, like, completely unfamiliar yeah. with Phil Oaks as a guy or any of his music. Uh, anything else worth mentioning about I Ain't Marching Anymore? Or can we move on to the next track? Uh, there is uh, there are two versions of I Ain't Marching Anymore on the album also. Uh, one is... What? Yeah, one is the, the version I sent you, which is the acoustic version, but he also does like a full band version with like bagpipes and everything. What the hell, dude? It's pretty sick, yeah. <laughs> what? What the hell? <laughs> why, why did you tell me about that <laughs> version, bro? <laughs> Leaving me fucking hanging again, dude. Um... That's cool. I'm gonna have to listen to that one when we when we get off this damn call for once and for all. Finally, 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 I'll just fucking talk to Noah again. This fucking dog shit producer. Yeah, this stupid ass producer who looks a lot and it sounds like him a lot is actually I don't know, pretty much a pretty different cool guy. person. Maybe, I don't know, different person. Different, yeah, just a different guy altogether. Uh, moving on, second track off. I ain't marching anymore. Draft Dodger Rag. 
What the hell is going on with this one, and what makes this an Oaks certified cut? Uh, so this is the first Oaks song I actually ever listened to, um, and this hell is yeah. like, I, it was either this one or Love Me I'm a Liberal. I I, I, I kind of go back and forth, but like this is definitely one of the first ones, and I thought it was really really funny. Um, the whole idea yeah. of like, you know, just making up excuses for why you can't go to a Vietnam. You know, uh, it's kind of like a great way of almost like attacking that form of militarized American masculinity at the time, you know? Um, sure. Yeah. Great point. And makes it almost like a point of pride to go against that form of masculinity and kind of makes it like a rebellious, funny thing to be unmasculine and to be not the standard American, like military guy. Uh, and, and in that way, like, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of revolutionary in that way. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that when I was listening to the song. I was actually, to be honest with you, trying to just to keep up with what he's saying. Cause he's, moving at like a million miles a minute on this one there's just so much going on lyrically that i had like was just trying to keep up and i listened to this whole playlist like three times over Mm -hmm. just to like really try and soak in each song because as i'm sure the listeners will find out the subject matter that we're talking about today it's not the most like wide range of subject matter it's like a few distinct political things that were happening at the time but he attacks them in such different angles mm-hmm. and in such different ways that it feels like he's talking about a lot of different things. Right. Do you think that's a fair assessment? No, totally. I mean, like, cause he does have his like, you know, funny songs, but he does have his like more serious songs. And I know we'll talk about the song like a little bit later, but like, you know, draft out the rag. And is there anybody here? Are kind of about the same thing, but in very, Absolutely. very different ways, you know? And you know what song I couldn't, and not to keep, fucking doing the whole thing where we compare him to Dylan for the entire episode. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't not think of subterranean homesick blues when I was listening to draft Dodger rat. Oh, familiar with subterranean homesick blues. Interesting. You don't have to get into that, uh, elaborate on that comparison a bit because I I don't see it right now. Just because the way that subterranean homesick blues is like, you know, it's these short little ideas Mm -hmm. all in rapid Mm -hmm. succession. I kind of felt that way listening to draft Dodger rat where it's these, Short little ideas in rapid succession. Dylan's is just about American life mm-hmm. and like the American dream, mm-hmm. more or less. Whereas Draft Dodger Rag is very much about the war in Vietnam right. and how big a bullshit, you know, how much of a crock of shit it is. Right. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is similar song framing, similar song framing device used to tackle two different things, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, of course, they're always going to be compared to each other because they kind of sound alike they're in the same time period uh-huh. they're singing in the same genre so i just couldn't help but think of subterranean homesick blues sure are they content content wise similar no but i just couldn't think about couldn't think about not they couldn't not think about no it. it's a really interesting comparison i mean i didn't i never thought of that before but yeah there's kind of an interesting like stylistic parallel between the two i mean they're both like very punchy and like kind of quite short songs honestly 100 percent. yeah and that's why i thought it wow <laughs> this, guy, this guy thinks this guy fucking this guy hey, and everyone was like does this guy have any fucking thing going on <laughs> there? and the answer is yep <laughs> just a little bit uh can we move on or is there anything else worth noting about draft dodger rag um oh well he one more thing is that he did play at the uh democratic national convention in 68 yeah, yeah that i would kill to go back and just be a fly on the wall to observe for sure that event yeah that had to have been just the craziest shit of all time i'm sure 
Have you seen Medium Cool? I'm not. I've been meaning to check it out for the longest time, man. Dude, you will love that movie. Yeah. No, I feel like I You would. might have to watch that tonight, to be totally honest. I might. I might. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> you convinced okay. me. Yeah, okay. I got you. I had to pull your arm on that <laughs> one. Uh, twist your arm. I'm pulling your leg and twisting your arm. I'm doing both. At, at the same, same time. time. That's uh, pretty good. <laughs> it's uh, it's fucked up. I can't can't feel my face. Dude, right ask now. a producer to twist my arm and pull, you can pull my my leg. That guy that guy's useless. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on, third track, final track off. I ain't marching anymore. Keshev, I think this is my favorite song on the entire playlist. Mm. Here's to the state of Mississippi. Mm. What's this one about? Why'd you pick it? What makes it a what makes it an Oaks certified fresh cut? Uh, well, the, well, one of the reasons why I wanted to pick it is because it's probably his most controversial song. Like. Sure. People were like, fuck. I mean, obviously, especially people in Mississippi, but in general, people were like fucking pissed when he released yeah. it. Because it's basically just him tearing down every single aspect of Mississippi from like their schooling systems to the police to the justice system to like the church to like their misogyny, like racism, like every single thing you can think about when it comes to like running a government in a society within a state, he basically tears apart. Yeah, he's like, you guys are, like, completely dysfunctional. Yeah. It's awesome. It's great, yeah. And it's, like, it's a great, it's a, it has a great melody to mm-hmm. it. And it's, like, it's, the thing about Phil Oaks that I was discovering through the, like, listens of this playlist that I did is that every listen gives you something new, mm-hmm. I feel like. Every listen to every song, you are discovering a little piece of the song that wasn't standing out before, and now you're, like, this is the shit. This right. is like, this is the thing that's really working for me this time. Mm-hmm. Um, where in your Oaks, like what's your, like what was your initial reaction to hearing this song? I guess the first time, because it is so controversial, I guess. Yeah. I mean, at first it was like, um, I was kind of more taken by like the softer melody of it. Um, yeah. So absolutely. it kind of like eased me into it. And like, I do this thing sometimes where I listen to m- music and sometimes I don't pay attention to the lyrics. Um, I do the same thing, yeah. to be totally honest with but you. I think that the line that suddenly like snapped my attention back to the lyrics was, um, it goes along the lines of, like, unwed mothers should be sterilized, I even heard him say. And I was like, oh, fuck. I didn't realize that, like, this is a controversial statement that unwed mothers shouldn't be sterilized. <laughs> you know? Yeah, damn. That's freaky as fuck. <laughs> it's crazy, to be honest with you. It's crazy. Yeah. This guy's crazy. crazy. Yeah, this guy has crazy town vibes. Uh, we love him. He's crazy. <laughs> we love that freak, Phil Oaks. Phil Oaks, the freak. Uh, yeah, this is about civil rights, social upheaval, mm-hmm. just absolutely shitting on Mississippi yeah. as an idea. Doesn't like he even to say? Doesn't he like tell them like secede? Yeah, basically, he's basically like, like you're fine just to go secede. away. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. He's like, you guys are fucking losers. It's kind of awesome. I, I when I was on my trip earlier this summer, I was gonna stop in Biloxi, mm-hmm. Mississippi, which is like right on the Gulf, but I was just so tired that I like didn't end up like doing that. I just drove to like where I was going next. Sure. Mississippi's wild as hell. Though. Really? Like the Gulf Coast area, Louisiana, Alabama, like when you get down near the Gulf, people there's something going on really? in the water, in the crawfish maybe, some just craziness that people are just they're built different down there in a very crazy way. And wow. I'm, I'm like being like silly about it, but it, I truly, I'm like, these people are like 
different. There's something going on huh. down there. It's wild. You got to go down there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll put on like my best white face and I'll go down there. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Oh, that's all I'll say. Just be careful. Be safe. Uh, is there anything else worth saying about here's to the state of Mississippi? Um, I mean. I, I, I guess we kind of covered, like, how, like, all-encompassing of a critique it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't look up, like, you know, the full-on impact of it, but in your uh, facts research, do you find anything, like, about, like, people's specific responses to the song? Because I just know it was, like, super controversial at the time. I didn't do any, like, specific research okay. into looking into the specific reaction. But I did – the other thing I was going to ask you is, have you ever listened to the Randy Newman album Good Old Boys? I've not, no. Also throw that on if you're gonna watch Medium Cool. Yeah. Also listen to Good Old Boys. Okay. It's not as nearly as I'll say. That, I'm not gonna say that. It's biting in a different way. Okay. It's 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 Randy Newman poking fun at the South and really satirizing. Okay. The South. Gotcha. But also at times being a little bit loving to mm-hmm. the South in some ways, yeah. but mostly satirizing how fucked up gotcha. it is. Yeah, it's a jungle out there. Uh, Oh, oh okay. I, I was like waiting this entire sentence to say that. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. <laughs> Just eyes glazed over, not listening to me. Yeah, Maham. Okay, yo, yeah, oh, it's actually a jungle out there. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Okay, we're moving on. Uh, next album. There's only one song off this album, but this is from All the News That's Fit to Sing mm-hmm. from 1964. Bullets of Mexico. Keshev, what's going on with this one? What makes it an Oak certified fresh cut? Why do you like it? Yeah, so I believe the song is about the Mexican Revolution. And the reason why I picked it was because Phil Oaks, um, you know, usually has like a pretty distinct, like standard folksy sound, but this is like very different in style. I mean, it's obviously very like, um, you know, uh, Latin influenced and the type of guitar strumming he does is like very different from anything he's ever done. So I thought that was just interesting to put in there just for like a little bit of variety. Absolutely. The this is him doing Marty Robbins El Paso. Yeah. Like straight yeah, up. Yeah. Like this is this is the southwestern, basically Mexican sounding, mm-hmm. you know, as Mexican sounding as Phil Oaks probably ever got. Right. Like it feels very foreign, ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, yeah, yeah. from like what he's doing normally. I wasn't as crazy about this one personally, mm-hmm. but I do understand why you would include it yeah. in this list because it is such a uh departure yeah yeah uh, from what we're used to sounding yeah do you do you like care for this sound ultimately or do you just include it for for like showcasing sakes i like the song personally i am glad that he didn't just make his entire career based off of that sound because that would be i don't know a bit odd i guess yeah um but as far as like a departure every once in a while like it I don't know. It's nice, and I, 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 that album that that song's from, um, all the news that fits the saying. That's his debut album, and uh, it's quite good. I think that's the last song of the album. Actually, I could be wrong, but I think it is. And it's like find kind out. of a ballsy way to end an album, if that's the case. Let's see. Yep, it is yeah. fifteen songs long, and that is the last one on there. Yeah, that's a that is kind of a weird way. That to is end a it. We- very weird way to end an album. That like, because the rest of the songs are like his other stuff, like kind of standard folksy stuff, as far as sound goes. Um, overall, the album's good. I mean, it's interesting because you could definitely see like his guitar playing improving over the course of his albums. That's cool. Um, but just as political as he always was, you know. Yeah, just as biting as shit. Yeah. Hell, hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, Phil Oaks in concert. 
The rest of them, except for the last two, are from this album. Mm-hmm. This is from 1966, I believe. Maybe you know this. I didn't do. I didn't look into this claim enough. But is it true that not every song on this album is a live cut? I have no idea, actually. I read. I thought I read that. Maybe mm-hmm. that's some serious fake news from the liberal media going the on there. Cards. But- yeah, the lib <laughs> those libtards, those dumb lib cucks trying to make me think that the, fu- the, fu- the fucking not every song on a live album is live. What a stupid way to just try and control your mind. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, those vaccines are trying to track us. No, the phone in your fucking pocket is tracking you right now, dude. The vaccine is save gonna save your life. Um, first track is I'm gonna say it. I'm going to say it now. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say it the full proper way. I'm going to say it now. Why do you like this one? Why'd you pick it? What makes this Oak certified fresh? Yeah. I mean, what I really like about this song is like how it is directly trying to reach towards the youth, you know, like, I mean, it's literally told from like the perspective of a student, uh, obviously during a time where like a lot of students were protesting the war and such. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, I, I just like the idea of a musician who is a bit older, not that much older, but a bit older than your average student, actively trying to reach out and engage young people on issues that do pertain to them. Um, and I think as a result, it's kind of got this kind of, like, yeah, youthful energy to it. Um, it, he, it all, he sounds like, you know, he, he, he sells the fact that he is a student, even though he isn't, yeah. like, he, his, his persona, it sells, you know? And it, it's like... Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like, I always, like, you know, has, like, kind of get a little weirded out when, like, someone's like, oh, this singer is, like, the voice of a generation, because, like, sure, that statement always felt weird to me. But this is a case where, like, I think he is at least imitating the voice of a generation quite accurately. Yeah, this song totally reminded me of that moment, and I think a lot of people have this moment, where you realize that, Maybe not all the history you learned in school is a lie, mm-hmm. but all the history you learned in school is being told from a very specific perspective. Right. It's being told from a winner's perspective, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you're getting the perspective of the person who won the battle or the person who won the election mm-hmm. or the person who did X, Y, and Z. You're maybe not getting the full story. Or at least you're not being taught that in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. I think that happens late high school, early college, you know, right. for a lot of people. And it sounds – and there is that anger that's in that's like, why have I been lied to yeah. all these years? Why have I not been being taught the truth? Why have I not been being taught the whole the whole truth more specifically? Right, Maybe right. not the truth, but why haven't I been, giving, been given the whole perspective? And that's what this feels mm-hmm. like to me is you don't want me to say it. But I'm going to say it, yeah. and you're not going to like it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Well, this is, like, very abrasive in some ways. I mean, he, like, there are even, like, some Nazi allusions, right, where he talks about burning books. Um, yeah. There is, like, a mo where he, like, you know, says that he supports, like, Mao, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Chiang kai You support Chiang kai well, but I support Mao. Mao. Yeah, yeah. Um, some really just abrasive stuff. Stuff that feels abrasive today, honestly. Um, and I respect but that. But done. But done in a like almost sweet, yeah, songy way. Sweet, you know, oh, like oh, it's, just it's like almost like an innocence to it. It is. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna say the word that you don't want me to say, and it's it's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say the truth, uh, but in a way that's 
palatable, mm-hmm. actually. This is actually, in terms of music specifically, maybe one of the more palatable sure. songs on the playlist, just purely on a musical, melodic basis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is quite catchy, and it's almost like poppy in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, is very, it, it, it just sounds very pleasing. It's not like, um, here's the state of Mississippi where, you know, that song is like a heavy song. You know, this is this, this yeah. still feels pretty light. Agreed. Anything else worth noting about it, or can we move on to the next one? No, let's move to the next one. Moving on. Click, clack, click, clack. Screech, slam. Whoa there, Bessie. Stop right there. We got to take a look at this song right here. That's, is there anybody here? Yes. What's this one about? Why'd you pick it? Why is this an Oak certified fresh cut? Uh, well, this is another anti-war song that he wrote. Basically, um saying is there anybody here who is dumb enough to sign up to go to war essentially um yeah. but in a very sad and somber way um and it's another method of like you know kind of questioning the masculinity toxic masculinity of um military culture you know it's like is there like anybody here who actually wants to do this is there anybody who actually wants to sign up to die for like a reason that they don't really know why you know um, Absolutely, and he's questioning this idea of blind loyalty and uh, within within the military and within American culture, and I, I think it's like really really fascinating. Yeah, this is the Jarhead of the song. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I love Jarhead, I big, man. I know you're, yeah, you're a big Jarhead guy. I remember watching that in, I don't know, I'd have to check Letterbox.com <laughs> to see when I watched it. Follow no more on Letterbox.com. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm going to save that for the end of the show when I actually <laughs> tell people to follow me on letterbox.com. But here's the fucked up part. I'm actually pulling up Letterboxd. Right oh, you fuck. You fuck. To tell you, <laughs> to tell you when I watched Jarhead. Let's see. 38 people I follow watched it. That's cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Uh, February 8th of 2020. Okay, okay so this was recent. right before the pandemic. This was like a month before the pandemic. Yeah, okay. okay. On, on your recommendation. Yeah actually because you're 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 a big fan of this one but it is that sort of same examination of like why the fuck do you want to do this in the first place oh this shit sucks you know you get there and it sucks and you maybe you think oh i'm doing i'm gonna be it's this is gonna be awesome i'm gonna be killing people left and right it's like no you're gonna be sitting around maybe never see combat and if you do see combat you're still gonna be disappointed even if that's why you are signing up for the military Mm -hmm. in the first point yeah um, it's crazy to think that people are. This is still happening. Yeah, it's this is still happening in 2021. Very weird. I mean, it's so interesting because like there's a weird evolution. I mean, stop if I'm getting too off topic, but it's like I noticed like a weird evolution in like pro war movies, um, where you know you see what's an example. What's an example of a pro war movie? Uh, um, okay, well m- m- maybe pro war is being a little bit too harsh, but. Okay. Movies that glamorize war, I'll say that. Sure, um, okay, sure, 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 yes. In a weird way, stuff like, um, this is ostensibly an anti-war movie, but Hurt Locker, I feel like glamorizes war to an extent. In a different I way. I understand that, yeah. In a different way than, like, um, I don't know, one, one of those, like, John Wayne, Wolver- like, Dirty Dozen does or whatever, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. I was just <clears throat> thinking Dirty Dozen, actually. Yeah. That's funny you say that. <laughs> well, I mean, because, like, the war movies that are glamorizing war old turns it into, like, you know, an Indiana Jones-style adventure where it's, like, really fun yeah. and everyone's making jokes. And the modern type of glamorizing war film makes war look really shitty. Like, it looks yeah. fucking miserable, 
But there's a weird feeling of if you go through the shit, you are like a true man, and only true badasses can go through the shit. A hundred percent. So there's kind of like a weird feeling of like, yeah, war is miserable, and I can't wait to be fucking miserable. You know what I mean? I, I that's a great point. I've never thought about it like that. I've not I, I've seen nearly enough older war movies mm-hmm. to like, like have that even like circulate in my mind. But that's a great point, Keshav, about the. The differences between old glamorized mm-hmm. war movies and now glamorized war movies, and also Avengers Endgame is that a war movie? Is Infinity War in a war movie? Are we glamorizing the fucking Infinity War, Keshav? Better go sign up and enlist in that, my friend. Dude, I don't think so. Dude, dude, fuck Avengers. I don't know. I don't know. I was okay. I wanted to say something and then I couldn't think of anything. So yeah, we're gonna move on to the next. <laughs> <one>. uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're moving on to the next song right now, which is uh, actually huh, appropriately titled Cops of the World. Uh, yeah. Why pick this speaking one? Of why the do Avengers, you like it? Cops of the World. Yes. <laughs> speaking of the Avengers, speaking of the military, uh, what is this one about? Why'd you pick it? What do you like about it? Uh, so this one's another really abrasive Philip song. This one's essentially about um, U.S. imperialism and how the U.S. basically sees themselves as the quote-unquote cops of the world if they see something that they disagree with they'll send their military over and they will police it and policing that usually results in more destruction for the people that they're trying to police than there was in the first place usually on part of the soldiers and of the military and yeah this one like really takes no prisoners at all i was kind of shocked when i heard some lyrics like um like he made references to like american soldiers like raping women at the beginning and all that stuff and yeah it's brutal it's it's quite hard to listen to um and i don't know like there's less of a sense of humor in this one i mean there is kind of an inherent humor in like the idea of like we are the cops of the world right but like a lot of the lyrics are like really dark to me we are the cops of the world we pick and choose as we please boys pick and choose as we please you'd best get down on your knees boys i mean yeah it's dark yeah it's, it's very really dark. dark it's very dark humor yeah going yeah on there. i mean especially at the end it's like when we butchered your sons have a stick of our gum you know it's like god damn dude oh yeah 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 we because we're the cops of the world boys we're the cops of the world we butchered your sons boys we, we butchered your sons have a stick of our gum boys have a stick of our bubble gum we own half the world oh say can you see the name of our prophets is democracy i mean yeah it's great it's yeah, yeah. so well written it's so funny um and I should have said this at the beginning. I'm going to link this playlist in the show description so you can listen along if you want to, listeners. I should have said that at the very beginning of the thing. And I didn't. I'm sorry. Uh, but this, for me at least, listening to this for the first time and then the subsequent two other times, I remember being like a kid and like seeing the U.S. like in the, on the news, getting involved in just like overseas things most notably when we were kids the iraq war right. you know and in afghanistan and shit right. and i literally remember thinking to myself probably not expressing it to anyone but thinking why do we care mm-hmm. like why bother doing that like what does that have anything to do with what's going on here domestically right. didn't say domestically when i was seven <laughs> years old but you know, you know as far as domestic policy shit. and uh, foreign policy yeah yeah, as far as uh, as far as the domestic shit is concerned, I don't really get it. But I just remember thinking to myself, like, why, why, why are we involved? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what, what is this all about? Mm-hmm. You know, what, why does this matter? And this song like puts that into words right. in a way that I think is very dark, sardonic, 
but also truthful, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Where it's like, we want the money. We want the money. We want the power. We want the land. For sure. That's why we're doing it. For sure. I mean, you know? this was very relevant in regards to, like, you know, when um, the whole Cuban invasion happened, right? Um, oh, yeah. You know, the U.S. kind of famously fucked over Cuba and put it in the position that it is today. I mean, I forget the name of the, pres- the, the, the president they had before, uh, Batista, but he was a democratically elected president. U.S. didn't like him because I think he was like a socialist. And they overthrew him and replaced him with Batista, who was one of the most psychopathic dictators of all time. And, like, a guy who, like, if you look him up, you're like, okay, I get why they prefer Fidel Castro, even though Fidel Castro is also a fuck, you know? Yeah, do you want, you could have megalomaniac number one, who's insane, or you could have Fidel Castro, who's a megalomaniac (laughs) number two, and also insane, but just a little bit less than the other guy. No, for sure. So, um, and, you know... The whole, like, conversation revolving around Cuba, even today, is, like, so muddled, and people, like, don't really know what actually happened or, like, how complicit the U.S. is and, like, what's going on there. Absolutely. And I'm not an expert by any means, and I am trying to figure out what the fuck's going on over there, and I'm, you know, but it's, it's it, it, it's like, inten- same with Iraq. Yeah. It's, like, intentionally confusing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, like... There's so much, well, maybe intentionally confusing the wrong word, but it's so involved and there's so much going mm-hmm. on that it's like they want you to just throw up your hands and say, fuck it, I don't care, yeah. you know, so they can continue to do their shit. Well, it's interesting because, like, a lot of these kinds of wars happening recently, like, you can't, it's hard to pin down a proper point where they began. Like, yes. World War Two, you know, it's like, okay, like, the Nazis invade, right? Nazis invade Poland. Right. Or, like, American gun involved because of, like, Pearl Harbor, you know? That's, like, the specific right. event. and that's the start point, yeah. But, like, with someone like, you know, Afghanistan, it's like, oh, wait. Like, when did this start happening? Like, what's yeah, you the gotta time go back to, like, this? the first Bush if you want to, like, really start, yeah. like, understanding that. And maybe even before, yeah. you know, like, Russia and shit. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all, all that's to say is that, like, you know, the song, like, is kind of draws light upon like some how some of these conflicts start and like why some of these conflicts start because in a way like i feel like oak's trying to say that the u.s military in these instances don't even see themselves as military that's going to war they see themselves as police officers policing other countries and i think that's why like maybe the cultural narrative isn't so much like oh we're going to war with them it's rather we're policing them to make sure that they don't step out of line that's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, that's wow. Can we move on? That, I think that's. I think that's. I think that's. I think that's the capper, my friend. I think you nailed it. Can we move on to the next sure, one? That's it. Love me, I'm a liberal. This is the last one off uh, off Phil Oaks in concert, 1966. This is the first song you actually mentioned on the pod mm. back all the way at the beginning when I said why'd you pick this guy in the first place? What's going on with this one? Why pick it? What makes this an Oaks? Certified fresh cut. Um, this is probably like my favorite Phil Oaks song of all time. It's, I mean, honestly, it's probably the song that made me fall in love with like Phil Oaks's music properly. Because listening to it for the first time, like I had to double check that it was made actually in the '60s and not like more sure. recently. Because I was like, this feels progressive even by today's standards. You know, absolutely. Um, it does. Yes, it's like the whole idea of taking on people who are who say they're very like progressive but only to the point where it doesn't personally inconvenience them it's still a conversation that like people don't like having today you know yeah and And it's extremely prevalent today yeah yeah yeah, for sure and the whole idea of like you know 
him shitting on people who like you know were against Malcolm X because Malcolm X was like too radical and he was like right. you guys are just being like a bunch of you know well I don't want to say that word but you guys are being like soft you know <laughs> <laughs> I think we all yeah we know we know yeah you, you're, you're, you're afraid at the end of yeah that. exactly you know, there's a lot of fear in yeah that. and like in today's world like Malcolm X's image has been kind of rehabilitated although in some ways, I think the way it has been rehabilitated is actually a little bit more destructive. Um, How so? I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, so this is a concept called recuperation. Recuperation is basically the idea of radical revolutionary thought of the past being filtered to, through the lens of palatability so that it can be broader okay. appreciated in the present. So okay. um, a really good example of that would be, for instance, have you seen Judas and the Black Messiah? Yes. So that movie is about Fred Hampton, the Black Panthers, and yet I think there's like only one line that even hints at Fred Hampton's socialism. Um, okay, so Fred sure. Hampton like was a very committed Marxist and a, a student of Lenin, and he incorporated a lot of Marxist philosophy within his activism and within his politics. And to talk about Fred Hampton and to not talk about Marx is to not talk about Fred Hampton, in my opinion. And I think sure. that idea is a little dangerous because it softens the idea of what these people stood for in the first place. It kind of twists their image into something that they're not. Um, and I think, gotcha. Okay. I think I don't know. I'm afraid that might be happening with Malcolm X too, because Malcolm X was very radical for his time, and in some ways he's still pretty radical today. But people kind of like I don't know. I like to tamp down on some of the radical stuff because it scares them a little. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know enough about Malcolm X to say whether I agree mm -hmm. with that that it's happening or not but just i have no doubt that that is a thing that happens mm. you know and it's also the telephone game you right. know of someone understanding what the thing is at the time mm. regardless if it's radical thought or mm. not just anything and then to have to explain that over time right. the message just shifts when it's sure. not something like math or science you know what i mean yeah, and it's yeah. like this is what it is in the book whether it's these abstract concepts mm. or you know political thoughts it's like okay in 1965 or whatever he may have said this, but over the years it's been diluted, if you want to use that right. word, or it's been filtered through to the point where it actually today means this. Mm -hmm. So whether that's the thing that's happening or whether it's being done intentionally, who knows? But I do agree with you that I think that there is a palatability issue mm -hmm. that has been surfacing. And that's it's interesting to see, like you said, that Phil Oaks is being this stark yeah. and this like open mm -hmm. about that kind of shit now because i'm listening to this this is probably set my second favorite song on the playlist if not tied for first with the state of mississippi mm -hmm. because it's just so scathing yeah. it's so brutal and you play it for someone like have you watched the white lotus on hbo not, no here's good okay it's I'm almost I'm like almost done okay. with it. It is very good, but you like play it for like the Connie Britton character on The White Lotus, and she's like, no, 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 <laughs> just just no. That's not what it is. No, you're wrong. You're yeah. wrong. It's just so I funny, dude. That, it's a I, funny I, I ass wish song. I got that joke. Yeah, I wish <laughs> I, I I wish you did too, brother. I, I shouldn't have said it. I wish you I wish you got it. Um, this would this one really just would piss people off today. I oh, think, for sure. So. If somebody made this yeah. song today maybe adjust some lyrics to make some of the references more like updated like it would piss people off for sure i mean the whole idea of like you know um even like he'd like call out like homophobes who were like supposedly democrats i go to civil right. rights rallies but i put down the old dar um like you know he's like you know you can't call yourself like someone who fights for civil rights and then like ignores you know gay activist communities you know 
Right, 100%. 100%. This is just, you got to hear this one, folks, if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, anything else worth mentioning about this one? We got two more songs to get to. Um, hmm. I really... What I like, the honestly, the most about the song might be, like, the last verse where he, like... How, how does it go? It's like, uh... I'm looking it up. Yes, I was young and impulsive. I wore every... Oh, shit, what was it? Oh, got you. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. Uh, the last verse you said? Yeah. Once I was young and impulsive, I wore every conceivable pin, even went to socialist meetings, learned all the old union hymns. But I've grown older and wiser, and that's why I'm turning to you. And so love me, no, what, love me, love me. I'm a The liberal. last line's not right. It's uh, That's why I'm turning you in. Oh, that's why I'm turning you in. Yes, and that's why I'm turning you in. Yeah. Yes, you're 100% right. Um, yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, no, it's brutal because it's just like, it almost like predates this idea of like hippie boomers growing up to be like investment bankers, you know? Yeah, um, 100%. You know, always like, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I watched for the first time uh, the Woodstock documentary, the one made in 1970. The Pennebaker one? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think it was Pennebaker. I think it was Michael Wadley. Okay. Um, yes, but yes, yeah, so that one from the 1970s. Yeah, and I was looking at it, and I was kind of struck by, like, the kind of optimistic naivete of these kids. Like, they're probably, like, what, like, 19, 20-ish? Um, 100%. And they were so optimistic, which is such a stark contrast compared to, like, 19, 20-year-olds today, who are, like, very cynical, I would say. Yes, um, yes. And it's, like, it's so interesting, because like, oh, I was like, wow, these people really thought that they could save the world through, like, peace and love and music and stuff. Um, and then I was like, man, some of these kids probably grew up to be like hedge fund managers or something. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, it's that, it's that whole idea of like, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever heard someone say the phrase, like, you'll get more conservative as you yeah, get older, yeah. like type yeah. thing. And it's like, no, you just have enough money ideally at a certain right. point where it doesn't affect you. Exactly. Anymore. Exactly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is this we could talk about we could do a whole episode about this song and I do want to continue talking about it but I also want to make sure we give time to the other two sure. songs. Are we cool to move on to the other That's two? Good. Okay. Re- rehearsals for retirement from 1969. Pretty smart on my part. This one is the most cryptic to me. So you're going to have to you're going to have to help walk me through this why this one is certified fresh to you. But why did you pick it? Why do you like this it's one? It's a little cryptic to me too, honestly, but from what I could tell from like listening to it a bunch of times I feel like it's a parody of like the American bunker nut, if that makes sense. Like the kind of person who like the doomsday like the prepper. doomsday prepper. Like like I have to like you know arm myself and like you know everyone's out to get me and so I better get them before they get me. Uh, sure. You know, like even like the whole bit near the end. I mean, obviously this is in reference. This is not in reference to the event I'm going to talk about because this is made way before that. But like. They talk Chinese, they spread disease, I'm going to take over the government is, like, weirdly prevalent to, like, the anti-Asian hate today, and also the fact that these same people are trying to take over the fucking government. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, wow, that, how did that happen, <laughs> folks? Um, I, I was on a similar, somewhat similar tip mm-hmm. after listening to it a few times. I To me, it was a little more general than that. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, this comes at the end of the 60s, mm-hmm. you know? A decade of just a lot of fucking shit. Yeah. You know, and I think this is just a general reaction to the anguish and confusion of the 60s, because I know a lot of, you know, 68 is 
you hear a lot about 1968 these last two years just because people are comparing 2020 to 1968 is just like a year from hell. Basically, sure. just everything that could go wrong did go wrong. But to me, this feels like a reaction mm-hmm. to the 60s as a thing of how much change occurred and maybe from a place of like faux arrogance where it's like, ha, huh, yeah, I'm actually the smart one mm-hmm. for, you know, taking on all these things. But I don't know. This one's cryptic to me. I don't know fully know how to crack this nut yet. And I don't know if I need to. And maybe that's the whole point of the song entirely. But it was interesting. It also feels a little different. You know, it feels a little like, you know, a lot of the other songs you can know exactly what he's talking right. about. This one it's like it's, I don't it's know. kind of a there's a lot going on. It's kind of a later one for him. I think um in some of his later albums, he's kind of trying to, I don't know, maybe be a little bit weirder. Like, his his um, musical styles, for instance, this is in rehearsals for retirement, like, you know, they're very different, actually, in some ways from a lot of his earlier albums. I mean, I didn't play some of these songs, but, like, songs like Dollhouse incorporates, like, you know, um, you know those wind-up, like, you know, dolls that have, like, the weird, like, creepy music? Yeah. So it incorporates sure. that and uses that in the rhythm of the music. Which is like oh weird yeah like really different from like his other stuff his other stuff is purely just acoustic stuff for the most part right yeah um so, that's so interesting yeah he kind of like would... plays around with um, musicality a little bit more in his later stuff well that's interesting also because based on the research it sounds like toward the end of the sixties and the beginning of the seventies he starts to go through a little bit of maybe a mental decline yeah. as well you know and a physical decline mm. of through the alcoholism and mm. stuff and so it sounds like maybe that's just being reflected in the music sure. and there's a lot of different things going on there but this one's a little different this one is you know this this and this next one are a little bit different i think this next one is a little bit more straightforward yeah. in terms of topic but is there anything else we're saying about pretty smart on my part or can we move on to our last guy here um really much i like the i like the um guitar riff i think it's fun yeah it's good it's good it's, good. it's funny it's funny as fuck <laughs> the guitar riff is funny uh last song i kill therefore i am a play on the Descartes thing. <laughs> a, play, Descartes a play on that. Bullshit. Yeah, that Descartes piece of shit idea, I think, therefore I am. Uh, what's this one about? Why'd you pick it? Why is this a Phil Oaks classic? Uh, well, I, I feel like the message of the song is right there in the chorus. You know, I am the masculine American man. I kill, therefore I am. It's another satirization of American masculinity and its predisposition towards violence and the linking of masculinity toward with violence. Um, and it's basically just completely tearing that idea apart. Yeah, it's killing and violence as an identity and killing and violence as an institution, mm-hmm. like, as, um, as a man. You know, I think the masculinity mm-hmm. part of it is very interesting as yeah. well. And you think to yourself, you know, I don't know what someone else in France or someone else in Russia or someone else in Senegal mm-hmm would look at America and think like, man, a bunch of those white dudes are shooting places up all the time. Like, you know, do they have some sort of perspective that a lot of people here don't, or are they just like, that's fucked up and I don't want to think about that. But it happens a lot here. Yeah, man. Dude, I mean, like happens a lot honestly, here. Like, I, you know, when I was in grad school and I was meeting people from like many different countries, like their predominant perception is, man, you know, just make sure you don't get shot when you go to America. <laughs> that's, what, that's literally what everyone <laughs> yeah. told me. I was like, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when that's the major output, you know, if that's the major export in terms of news stories, yeah. why wouldn't you think yeah. that ultimately at the end of the day? Cause for, a, they're not wrong at a certain mm-hmm. level, you know, and that's the sad part. Uh, but this one, this, I feel like this message is pretty straightforward. 
uh, in terms of this one. Another banger. Banger. I'll just say it. Another banger. Boom. Boom. Anything else, or can we wrap this stupid show Let's up wrap once this and for all? Fucking stupid. Fucking shit. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck shit. Awesome, man. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're... Awesome, man. That's awesome. No, I, no, 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 no. Hey, that was awesome. Dude, thanks. <laughs> hey, that was, that really, that really fucking hits home for me right there. That hits home more than any of the Phil Oak songs that you brought to the show. Uh, well, Keshev, I want to thank you for not only coming on the show, but also introducing me to a new musical artist who I will be introducing Mason to, because I think Mason is really going to enjoy this. My co-host on It's On The List. Awesome. I think he's going to get a kick out of Phil Oaks big time. But Keshev, this is the part of the show you came on to do. This is the reason why all the guests come on the show. This is time to do some plugs, oh, my I friend. I don't have plugs. I have Letterboxd. Yeah, that's okay. Let's plug it. Plug away the letterbox, baby. Letterbox is my name. Keshev, K-E-S-H-A-V. Last name, Srinivasan, S-R-I-N-I-V-A-S-A-N. It's the one with the picture from uh, the Apu trilogy. So follow that shit. Yeah, follow that. Keshav's a great letterbox follow. I've been following him since day one, baby. Since day one. From since, womb since to I tomb. I walked out of the womb. <laughs> from womb to tomb, I've been following Keshav on letterbox, and that's the fucking, that's, life's, life's a bitch, and then you go on letterbox. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that's fucking it uh you can check out this you can check out the links to the link trees in the show description there's the link tree titled my favorite link tree which is home to all the social medias uh for this show twitter instagram and then my also my personal link tree you can follow my own twitter instagram letterboxd tiktok whatever the TikTok? fuck you want yeah brother i'm on dude TikTok. what the fuck do you do dance videos it's yeah, it's all it's all dance videos and me shaking my little ass <laughs> everywhere. It's really awesome. People are like, "This is this needs to this guy needs to be in jail." Uh, and they're not wrong. Um, you listen to my other podcast. It's on the list with Noah and Mason. Talk about underrated albums and movies. Phil Oaks would fit right in on that show. This week, we're talking about "Sitting by the Road" by Blaze Foley. The gone too soon Blaze Foley, in my opinion. And the 1969 Italian film Dillinger is Dead, directed by Marco Ferreri. So that is on the horizon. You can also check out your local government, YLG.world on Instagram, and your local government comedy on YouTube for sketch comedy. But all those links are in the link trees. Go there. You'll find some stuff. You'll find some bad stuff. You'll find some good stuff. You'll find some shit that's so crazy your eyes will pop out of your head and then you'll explode and then you'll die and it's awesome and you'll love it. Yeah. Kesev Srinivasan. <laughs> thank you for being here, my friend. Thank you for having me, man. It was really fun. Dude, I'm glad. I thank you for being here all the way from the Big Apple. Boom. Will you help me say goodbye to the folks at home? Bye, folks at home. Yeah, see you guys. <laughs> <laughs>